Welcome to the first ever DPS podcast for the Fine Art Programme at Central St. Martins. This is an experiment, the first in a series. This was recorded just before Christmas in 2017. Thankful. I think maybe we should go back slightly and talk about why it's actually happened. So, sorry, Ruben, to make you go over the conversation again a little bit, but That's maybe fine. it's worthwhile <laughs> talking about what the purpose of this is, actually. As, as someone who is based in London and is coming into CSF all the time, <laughs> like, but I, I suppose, I think I made, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I think I, I made the suggestion that, like, what I would want to get out of something like this would be being able to sort of hear discussions about, I think what DPS students are really thinking about, in I'm my experience, yeah. are like, and what, and what we're thinking about is kind of, sort of, surviving in the real world, like sort of almost, I think a lot of us are treating DPS almost as like a sort of testbed graduation. To that see, is what I encourage though. Exactly, yeah. so like, to, um, to kind of have like, a, have like a go at existing and surviving in the real world, and there are so many options, and so many, um, ways of supporting yourself and so many, um, I mean, so many things you can do which are not supporting yourself as well. And, and um, talking through people who've like been in that sort of lost sort of student place and then yeah. sort of have found a way, to, a way to survive and also have a fulfilling artistic existence. Mm-hmm. I think, like, I think it would be really useful to sort of, you know. Share the problems. To share, to share those yeah. problems and like sort of see if we can work out, you know, different solutions together. And you suggested the form of a podcast, because you said mm. the live thing isn't necessarily as, as interesting or as useful as I, as I thought oh. it was would be, which I thought was interesting. And you said the thing about podcasts is it's quite nimble. People mm. can listen to it. I listen, as we were saying, to podcasts every, every day, actually. Yeah. yeah. So it's a really great form to bring with you anywhere you go. It can be in your pockets, you know. And so there isn't that sense of the problem of how do you coordinate that everyone is together, yeah. whether you've all got to work right. and so on. So I appreciate all of that. Yeah, just making sure everyone's... I, I just feel like it's difficult to make sure everyone's, like, going to be, like, sitting at home on their laptops. Yeah. At seven PM on a given day. I think day, you could do that know. now and again. I think yes, you could step up the scale, the stakes of the event, and do it sometimes. No, totally. You know? I think there's value in that as well, and being able to ask live questions and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. But yeah, but well, also what? having a slightly more portable form. I'm <clears> sure <throat> between us, as um, DPS students and tutors and people involved with DPS, we know like so many people that it would be interesting, interesting yeah. to chat to, and like I'm meeting people all the time who would totally be willing to sort of chat for a bit about yeah. survival in the art world and like but you know a quick 10 minute chat on, 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 on an app on your phone can be something people will yeah. lend their time to that that and the fact that they won't necessarily want to meet up and they come into college yeah, and it's totally. a couple of hours long and they, you know the, the way to make it really interesting is to have you know obviously the chats are important but also having lots of different other stuff absolutely yeah <laughs> 
thing I'd want to do is, I would have wanted to do is stop some DPS news, but of course we don't have very much inputs right now. So I was wondering if we could start therefore with um, anything you might know actually, Ruben, about news, highlights, DPS highlights and lowlights that you're willing to share or you know other, you've admired from afar with other DPS students. So what, so from mine and other yeah. DPS experiences? Yeah. I don't know, well I suppose I've had quite a, uh, um, I suppose a, I've had a very busy time on DPS, but um, like that's partly come out of just like, you know, I personally find it quite easy to find sort of useful things to fill my time, yep. but they're not always the most sort of, you know, long-term placements or yeah. things that are sort of financially supporting my life or yeah. things. So I suppose in the last, particularly in the last few weeks, I've been thinking a lot about um, well, I've been I've been job hunting in various in various fields, mm -hmm. and also kind of thinking about how I want to have that um, kind of work art balance. Because I don't know, you can spend. It's it's very easy to sort of, yeah. I like I definitely <laughs> sort of spending a lot of um, time doing. Sort of, it's like it's really fun to sort of immerse yourself in the in the sort of artist lab world and. The, yeah and sort of try and befriend as many people as possible and I think that's something that's useful to my art practice and my... Um, it's useful to everyone. Sort of, uh, You bring me up to certain questions I thought <laughs> I was going to bring up and also ask Alex's perspective on, which is yeah. um, the things I'm noticing that are coming out, and it's to do with the type, partly the stage of DPS. This is early on in DPS, and, um, and so often it's the toughest time because students are in this transitional moment. In some cases, it's the first time they're kind of, they're not quite out, but they're somewhat out of full-time mm. education mm. and they're having to learn how to navigate things in a slightly different way and they're sometimes having to learn how to be really active mm. rather than kind of be told or yes. be told that someone else give you your schedule and your timetable. They're sometimes having to learn how to budget mm. and um, and there are certain, and some people are also learning how to approach people in organisations. Some people that comes naturally to others is terrifying, you know. Totally. <laughs> um, another thing, so th th tips and ideas about how to approach people in particular ways mm. and I, that's one subject I'd like to talk about. Yeah. Another one that comes up a lot about is how you recognise something as an opportunity. Yes. That's also comes up, you know, mm. and in tutorials I'm noticing. Um, another, and this is maybe the biggest thing right now, is negotiation. It's, you know, there's a common thing I'm noticing with students are in a placement, but let's say um, they are, it's a paid placement, but they're really worried, they don't know how to talk to their employer about getting time off to even have a tutorial for instance yeah. or they are in an unpaid placement and they something else comes up they want they want to change their mind and it's, it's they don't want to upset the person and they don't know how to negotiate mm. a conversation totally. or how to say can you pay me now you know <laughs> and so what are those things that's another subject coming up right now about students not perceiving ways they can manage that and the last one is handling the course rejection so we, I know it might be a quick route through all of those because you could do an entire podcast on any one of them but I think yeah. right now that appears to me to be the key stuff mm. would, you, would you agree? Yeah, Sorry. yeah. I, mean, I, I just want to come in and just, yeah. just make one point there that I yeah. think what's really important about the DPS model that you're developing yeah. with the students I think it is being yeah. developed between, the, between yeah. Savannah students is the speed with which discoveries are made on all three points. Yeah. And if I'm having to discover those things in the job market once I've left 
university perhaps, that in all likelihood that's going to be a six-month job or a year's job or a two-year job, then the next one, the next mm-hmm. one, the next one. And every time I face those um, pinch points, I will discover something. But if I'm doing all that concertinaed into the period of a year and I'm doing 10 placements, I'm having 10 opportunities to face those problems and negotiate them. And it seems to me there that the speed with which you make discoveries about how you as an individual respond to them, because it yeah. is different for everyone, is much, much quicker on DPS than it is perhaps beyond, you know, beyond Actually, can you bring me up to something I'd like to ask Alex before we get going on those questions is, uh, you know, uh, you, you, you've now, you have of course spoken to and you meet DPS students and you had a period where you assessed some of those DPS reports, not yeah. this year but the year before, so Alex has seen it maybe closer up than some of the other um, fine art tutors in a way actually. Mm. Um, but what you would have noticed is the difference between seeing them leave as second years and then when they come back in as third years. So what's your perception from the outside of what appears to happen to them? What's the difference? I think that the danger about being in an institution long term is that you become institutionalised and yeah. then your only reference points are within a closed system. Um, some of that is really good because actually some of the best institutional critique comes from that position. But I think what can happen with DPS students is, is in seeing themselves outside of the bubble and then back in the bubble, they bring a whole set of fresh perspectives yeah. to it that are quite surprising to to me, to other staff, to other students. And I think that adds a richness and variety to the discussions, the thoughts, the, the sorts of... Um, uh, politics, problems, issues that are brought into the discussion because the, 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 there's just, uh, it's not all from within, it's it's from within but yeah, also from without and, and that yeah. dual perspective I think is, is okay. very useful and I think if as a course we're clever, what we're doing is we're being, and this is, I'm talking about the, the, the undergraduate course rather than DPS course, yeah. we're being very responsive to those new inputs into the course and that is I think giving us a whole load of new information about how we might develop the course to better yeah. match what, sure. what students are, are experiencing. Yeah, I think it really teaches you something about like being an artist contextualised in the world. It's something yeah. I've been thinking about a lot lately and like that's, of... that's the key thing and that maybe brings us to the first question about how mm. you recognise how you recognise what is an opportunity because mm. I, I'm aware when I'm trying to prepare second years, you know, mm. that um and those seminars and I hope to increase the amount of them actually this year is is Quite a number of them are used to judging, you know, what the subjects they're interested in is something they're doing an essay about, or it's in the mm. studio, it's assessed for a course. And the shift in thinking, which is small but profound, mm. is this in DPS, this becomes something you organise your entire life around, yeah. everything around, you know. And of course, you should be doing that as a student, so, but it's more all encompassing, you know. Yeah, so do you mean in terms of like working out? what's a useful opportunity yeah. and what's a waste of your time. Because you have to then figure out, on that horizon outside of here, how do I connect up the series of things I've figured out I'm interested in, you know, and how do I recognise the people, the places, the organisations out there that resonate with that. Yeah. But you were also saying something very interesting about seeing yourself as an artist in the world. Mm. Yeah. What, what, what? Yeah, I suppose I was just, I was saying that the, um, yeah, it's just something I've been thinking about a lot lately is like the way in which, um, you know, art school's kind of a, sh- like, it's a sheltered environment, which is obviously really useful for sort of artistic, like, free artistic development, and that's almost the kind of model of what art school, I think it's, like, quite a sort of, almost a 70s model of what art school is, it's this free space for mm-hmm. sort of artistic development. But, like, I think it's easy to forget in that environment that artists do have responsibility, and artists have got to sort of 
have got to, you know, their work's got to go somewhere and it's got to be seen by people and, like, yeah. you can't divorce yourself from that context. So I suppose, and, yeah, and it, and it kind of ties into this debate about, like, functional, sort of, functional work versus sort of pure sort of research, like, artist, artist research and, like, mm. I think that's a sort of balance that's really... Connect. It's a balance that's really yeah. being thrown around a lot lately. Yeah. There's a lot of really great... Um, uh, writing about that at the moment in terms of like how especially since nowadays it's like you know it's, it seems like it's easier to get your arts council application through if it's like a useful community project and every single residency it's arts council because it's public totally of yeah. course but, yeah. uh, but of course every every sort of residency project I've ever done or applied for has like had you know you've got to do some sort of work community workshop as well because yeah. like you know it helps them justify their funding and it's how yeah and it's how to sort of to manage that, because like it's very tempting as an artist to be like, be like, I shouldn't have to deal with this stuff. I'm an intellectual yeah. researching artist, right? I'm just, you know, furthering my practice, and there's like an innate good in that, and that's useful. And like, and I think there is something to that, and it is kind of a, it's, I don't know. I think it's quite a sort of, kind of, finding it finding a use for art is quite a sort of, innately like weird capitalistic thing to do, and whether. You know, we should really be encouraging that, but equally, there is a sense in which I think art has done demonstrable good, and sort of, yeah. And I think I suppose it's a very personal choice, but it's how to. But I think you're allowed to take a critical position in relation to it while doing it. Mm. So the the and one of the things I'm very interested in, in in your approach to DPS is it seems to me that actually you're you're keen to blur the boundaries between what is a placement, what is your practice, what mm. is engagement, what is doing something in the public realm. That these totally. things that you're not differentiating between these things and saying, ah, this is when I'm really dealing with the public, this is when I'm doing mm. work placement, this is that actually they've become completely yeah. interwoven. Yeah, like well because I suppose even the sort of like um, you know, boring sort of financially motivated jobs I've been applying for, I've been trying to like, you know, at least a sort of apply to work in a sort of shop that I think would be vaguely useful to sort of, yeah. you know, it's it's that sort of, I, I don't, I suppose I want to motivate all my decisions based on sort of what, you know, what is going to get me what I want and what's going to get me where I want to be. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know necessarily what that is, but, you know, no, I feel like I just dodged that question. <laughs> but, but how do you tell yourself, actually, both of you actually, how do you both tell with an opportunity is something you really want to go for. Alex, how do you do it? Because you're an artist outside of your role here. How do you do it in your own life and in your work? Um, I mean, that's a really good question. Hard to, hard to answer it in, in a simple way. But one of the things I do do is that when something starts to... F- when, when I start to um, aggressively reject something, mm-hmm. I, I, I stop, take stock... And, and wonder whether there isn't an opportunity in that. Why is it that mm. I'm saying no, 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 no to this thing? Yeah. And, and if I think back instances over time where I have rejected things, they've often become very, very rich. Yeah. So I used to massively, my, my trajectory into teaching was I did a lot of gallery education and projects with I young remember. people. Yeah. And I did that for years. And, and at the beginning, I very much wanted to keep that separate from my practice because I felt my practice was this sort of fragile, mm. Thing that could be damaged by trying yeah. to mix them. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. And when people said, well, maybe you should combine them, I aggressively rejected it. The minute I questioned it and went into it and actually started very deliberately working through them at the same time, yeah. something much more interesting came out. So, so one of the things that I will do is just 
because I think I think underneath it, I'm quite um, uh, worried about change. I'm quite worried about new ways of doing things. Yeah. So I think I had to intellectually keep challenging myself not to be worried about those things to to do them. And I think a, open, yeah. a lot of artists might find that. I think it's not surprising because our existence is quite precarious. It's, yeah. There isn't a, a, a standard career path. There isn't a set of things you do. Therefore, the things you put in place to change them feels very makes you feel very vulnerable. And so I think you do have to keep reassuring yourself that A, change is all right, and B, that if you're, if you're saying no, 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 that perhaps the, there's a reason for that, maybe yes would be a better answer. Yeah. Mm. So be open-minded, kind of, you know, uh, and be reflective. Yeah, you know, and challenge about. yourself. You're not challenging other yeah. people. It's, it's, I, at least I find that I'm the person who's stopping things. It's not... Yeah. I mean, of course, there are all sorts of external factors that prevent you from doing what you might want to do. But, but that in, in the day-to-day, mm -hmm. typically, it's the me of it that prevents me doing things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about you, Ruben? Mm. How do you tell? How do you differentiate I mean, something, what you think is going to be useful and something which I is... I suppose it's quite difficult, because I suppose a lot of the things I've been doing lately have been sort of lots of, like, short-term things and almost sort of events and applications and, like... I don't know, I have like a, a huge, um, <laughs> at the moment I've been trying to sort of um, relax a bit and take it a bit more, <laughs> take it a bit more day by day, so I've got this yeah. huge, um, the, the calendar in my like phone and computer is just like, got like piles and piles of like application, like Good. the deadlines, the deadlines for every single application thing I see. and like, the exactly uh, what we tend to do, great. And then it's Good. just like as soon as... And then I'm like looking yeah. a few days ahead in the calendar and being like, okay, so this is coming up. Do I actually care about it? This <laughs> is something. But actually, that is a but very then, good, simple question. Mm. Is yeah, do I care about it? Or yeah. Not? I mean, be mindful of what Alex has just said. Of course, know? yeah. But being, being, you know, that that do I mm. care about it will also be, well, you know, whether it, you know, you may have certain kind of short or long term goals, and yeah. it's knowing that whether that thing might help you get nearer to that. I suppose yeah, it's just, because also like applying to be in a, I don't know, if you're applying to be in a zine or something, it's very easy to get into this sort of mindset of like, oh, like how, so, you know, how many people are going to see this? Like, well, how yeah. sort of important is this really for like, you know, how is this going to look on my CV, right? It's like the sort of very direct um, yeah. sort of uh, uh, kind of, the, the boring practical way of thinking about it and then there's the other way of thinking about it which is like like oh I love these people I love what they do uh, like it always looks amazing like and I think this is going to motivate really good work out of me and like sort of obviously your approach kind of has to be like somewhere in between those two but I think I've, I've been trying to lean more towards the latter because I think you know I, maybe I'm just I just like to optimistically think that like you know in order to motivate myself, I have to like do things that I think are good, and yeah. also like have to do things that, you know, have faith that like if I think something's good, then like, like maybe even if even if no one cares about it at the moment, like mm -hmm. maybe maybe other people will care about it at some point, and yeah. like that sort of, and and also you know, and also that there's like a bigger benefit in. It's funny. I was talking to, um, I was doing tours here. Of uh, of the building for foundation students last week, just you know, to pay the bills. But I actually really like doing tours, and I always and it's the thing I always tell to like prospective foundation students because they're always freaking out about which, like, like they always ask questions like sort of, oh, which college should I apply to? Because like you know, will will going to CSM give me a better chance of getting into this BA course or whatever? And like, 
I think there's almost an analogous thing because what I always tell them is like the thing that's going to get you into the best BA course or the BA course that suits you best is making the work that Yes. Is the best, you know. So you've just got to go to the course that like is going to get the best work out of you. And I think it's the same. Like you've got to take the opportunities Trust that the are going to get the best work out of yeah. you. Because then, you know, because then it do, you know it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Like, you know, I don't I don't think you should expect like things to be things to be handed to you. I think you've just got to like Absolutely. try and make the best things you ha- can. And yeah. But also, just sometimes <laughs> the opportunities that like, if I imagine in the abstract what the best opportunity for me would be, it would be you know. Tate is going to come and say to me, Alex, you've got this massive show. Yeah. Totally, and, yes. and A, that's not going to happen. But B, actually, that might not be the thing that I actually got, because it might be so terrifying that I completely just was played it really safe. Make a rubbish show, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that sometimes the thing that feels like, oh, God, I really don't want to say to the Esther, this is going to be completely ho- this weird thing that's come from nowhere. That and then you end up saying yes to it, and then yeah. suddenly that's the thing that, that... It's really surprising what is the thing that gives you yeah, the next yeah. step or the yeah. next vision for where you're going it's yeah. it's unexpected and that's where you can do research I mean in terms of benchmarking things to make sure because Alex and I will, well, we probably will all know that there are certain opportunities and prizes and awards out there which are pretty suspect in terms of they're full of you know it's, <laughs> it, they're promising they're going to do things for you and it's some sort of scam totally. so that's where you do your own research you figure out what kind of history or what pedigree it has you know if it's things you know awards or mm. exhibitions and you can do basic stuff like that that inform yourself yeah you know, but also you it. get ruthless and you and every decision you make the first question you ask yourself is what's in it for me y- yes and if yeah. you can't answer that question then you don't do it and that's not to say that you don't do things that are benevolent or you don't mm. do things that are helpful to others as well but in those, the what's in it for me might also be the you know the feeling good about the fact that I've helped lots of people. Yeah, of course. If, if all that I'm going to meet this person, yeah. I'd love to meet. I've taken yeah, some totally. shows because uh, someone else was going to be in it that I thought, God, but I'm going to get a chance to sort of meet them. <laughs> so I'm entirely taking this because I would get that chance, and 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 it's been great. So you yeah. know, there's, there's nothing more corrosive to self worth and, and a feeling of optimism, a feeling of being able to do things, than the sense that you've been duped. Yeah. And if you It's the duping bit I'm talking yeah. about. If you yeah. know what's in it for you when you go into it and you mm-hmm. keep very close eye on that, you then find that paradoxically you can be much more generous to other people, much more open to other things, give to other people much more. You have to it's almost like starting from the selfish position allows you not to be selfish when you engage with Well, it's clear sightedness though, isn't it? Rather than selfishness. You're being really clear sighted about the purpose that thing will have for you, you know. Yeah, that's a nice in, in, in a very in a variety of maybe different ways. Yeah. It doesn't have to be one way of doing it. It's the, I don't know, it's the classic thing where particularly for sort of, you know, young artists, it's it's this sort of classic difficult thing of like, you know, we're all like hungry for opportunities. I just you yeah. know I'm I like I feel great but like anybody sees anything I've made because like it doesn't happen that often right but like I think yeah but I suppose it's but but that obviously creates an environment where it's like very easy to sort of you know be taken advantage of and not have your time respected and that's where yeah that's where you you do that research and you have certain totally and also bearing in mind this is where the beauty of dps is that you're you are on a course that's where if you come across something that's real dilemma Hmm. that's where the dear Anne-Marie or dear karen or dear michaela comes up (laughs) you know in the email or in the tutorial and then we're such old hands you know that we're gonna go spot it within a few minutes give us a scan you know um and and, you know because those are out there and always quite protective of students not being taken advantage of for most 
things, you know. Um, this brings me on to the kind of the next point about approaching people. Now we do do, I do a whole, and I've increased the amount of these CV cover letter workshop things, which actually become a whole thing around the scenario in which you send them out. So it's sort of, there's no point talking about that. But let's say you get to the point that you've got a great cover letter, you've updated your CV, you're, you, you are, as I encourage people, kind of, particularly at the beginning, to have a campaign. You sent out 20 or 30 of these, not tentatively two or three, a lot of them. But let's say now, um, Alex, you're at the point that, that there is somebody you'd really like to talk to and um, you've had no answer from your email. I what do you do about the unanswered email? And the first thing you need to do is think yourself in their position. And you need to ask yourself a question. How many emails are they getting? Um, how much time have they got to read the email? And what's going to grab their attention? And you have to be, you have to be quite realistic about the sort of person you are because because the right approach is going to be an approach that that you are good at and if yeah. you're good at being a cheeky fuck then you know, yeah. doing that being a cheeky fuck in, in the way yeah. you go about it is going to be right if you're not and, and you're trying it but it's kind of a bit half-hearted then you then you think well that's not my approach I've got to find another approach yeah. but I do that's think advice, yeah. I mean the most important thing for me I, I, I'm speaking as someone who doesn't have enough time to read all my emails um, yeah. and the most important thing is when I read an email, I want to know what the fuck they want in the first line. That's mm. true. Yeah. I have to get through three paragraphs of, of my projects about this, I love this, I love that, I love, and I'm, I'm just trying to hunt out what do they want from me, because that's that's <laughs> the thing that I, when I'm answering emails I need to really find out. That needs to be very, very clear. Oh, there, what I do say, put that in the first sentence. And yeah. I don't yeah, think yeah, yeah. anybody minds being bugged, because we all suffer from fear of missing emails, because we're all overburdened with emails, that's, and that's not me, that's every one of us, students, staff, everyone. If someone reminds me, says, hey, I wrote to you the other day, um, I know you haven't got back to me, but I just thought I'd, I'd give you a bit of extra information. You say you don't know the person, so you can't necessarily get to that face-to-face -face thing. Well, I think you can get to it, but... Well, you get to the email. You yeah, and so, so how, but at what point do you judge, because I encourage students to be tenacious and to do follow-up, follow-up is yeah. really important, and so actually that's where keeping track of who you sent things to and when is really important, you need a table or something if you're doing loads, yeah. because otherwise you can't remember. And, uh, and so, you know, that point, but, but and to leave it even a couple of weeks and then try again and again. Let's say you're on your, you know, but at what point, what's the, what's the boundary line between being tenacious and being a stalker. <laughs> I, I think you need to know when to let it drop and how to let it drop. If you just go quiet, then your relationship with that person who, who where, where you've tried a few times and they've not responded and you've let it go cold, is one of guilt. That person will feel on some level, yeah, oh, I never quite answered that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're never going to get a good relationship back. If yeah. you end, if I would say that you send two reminders and that's your top. But then like, maybe change, change the point of contact. That's where you try to meet them face to face. Change the point of contact, but also in the last one, if it was me and I was really thinking, I'm not going to get anywhere, do you know what, Charles Archie isn't going to answer. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd let Charles Archie off the hook. Yeah. Because I think that would be A, yeah. humorous, and B, would, would give you then a way in at a future date. To then yeah. go, now, I know I bugged you a couple of years ago, but I'm, I've got a new exciting project. I know that yeah. one didn't quite But I'm going say, listen, you, mu you must be really, really busy. Um, I completely understand. But um, I will send you some stuff in the future when I've got the next exciting project, and it might just tickle your fancy a bit more than this one. And that tone is great, because that's the other thing I say is that I don't know, I mean, over the years now and again, I've had emails from people, particularly when I went to Parasol, I you would get these emails parcel unit um, and strangely and, and, the, and I remember once being emailed by somebody and I kind of knew them so I was, oh god if I'm 
embarrassing, which was, um, and I felt really hustled by it because they were, their desperation and they felt that yeah. they were, they, I felt cornered by the email. They were mm. basically hanging their hopes on me, giving, get, mm. making sure they got a show there. And it was completely misjudged. You my career. No, well, <laughs> but it was completely misjudged given the programme of mm. the place. So that's one thing. They hadn't done the homework properly, you know. And then also, and it was kind of like, giving me a responsibility I hadn't agreed to. So I felt cornered, actually, yeah. and it was done with a heaviness totally. of touch. And so the lightness and humorous tone that Alex just talked about mm. leaves everything just um, And also nice. knowing what you want out of that exchange. Yeah. And, and so yes, declare it early on, yeah. but also be realistic about what that thing is. Yeah. And if that thing is something that is, you need to make you need to make the recipient's life easy. Yes. If, if yes, you're asking yes, me yes. to do something really complicated in response to an email, that ain't gonna happen. If it's a quick coffee and a chat, and I think, oh, actually, I can handle yeah. that. That's that's straightforward. Then, then that's the thing you go for. You go for the easy thing. And what about? I mean, I mean, this happens. I mean, sometimes I say because it can be a good thing to ask for advice. If you really are want, it's like a soft approach rather than you do want something. But yeah, could I have coffee? Can I ask your advice? But I like it when they give me options. I like yeah. it when people say to me, I've got these questions, they're here, but if it's easier for you to give me a call, here's my mobile. That's I'm great. happy to take you out for a coffee. <laughs> that then That's seems good. like... That's good. That's great. Because then you catch me in the right moment. I can't always do it. You catch me in the right moment when I've got a few minutes free and I just think... Send me a phone call. Dun, 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 dun. Blah, 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 Done. And then yeah. that's one less thing to but be guilty about. But if you've got a list of questions, and could oh, you, could you, could you have your, your dissertation or whatever, it. then no. it just puts up at you, isn't yeah. it? Because there's it's a sense of burden before yeah. you even talk to yeah. them. What have you noticed working so far when approaching people? I suppose the, um, it's really interesting, sort of, because I've seen a few different people's approaches. I suppose, like, because I'm, I'm not naturally very good at, like, going up to people at private views and like chatting at them and being really suave. I've been trying to get that, but I'm not very good at it. And the, the, um, I met a few people really productively by going to workshops they were running or like going to... Very good, that's why I say look at what that person's doing. They're yeah. probably doing talks or events. Yeah, cause it's, it's a great opportunity to go to say, just, like, follow, face. If you just follow yeah. someone you like on Twitter or Instagram yeah. or whatever, they advertise these things. They just go, oh, yeah. I'm running like a workshop at like yeah, yeah. this gallery or whatever. Like, you know, yeah, I met like... Smart. Anna Reading at Tough Projects the other day, and she was so lovely. I don't know, I, I always have a memory of like going to private views with Henry in Berlin. Hi, Henry, it's also a BTS student. Yeah. And like, and like, he was always so good at like, sort of like, you know, like, he'd like psych himself up for like, sort of 10 minutes going, like, I'm going to talk to him, I'm going to talk to him, I'm going to do it. And then we'd just go up and like, just be really lovely and really nice, and like, would, you know, swap email addresses and like, have this sort of lovely, yeah. and just like, you know, it's a really good. I mean, if you're able to do that, then it's a really good, <laughs> really nice thing to do. But if you're not... But if you're not, then, then there are other ways, you know. And ways that are just successful, and you've got loads of things you're really good at doing, mm. and so it's just keying into those totally, things. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. I mean, yeah. Um, now, negotiation. I want to get onto that, so it's before Alex has to go. Because I'm noticing at the moment that cropping up quite a lot, as I said. And so let's say a scenario that you are, for instance, you're working for somebody, say it's, it's a pretty good placement, and you know, it's for somebody really good, but actually, but they're not paying you. So something else has come up that actually is going to be really useful, and you need to either beef up or change the kind of placement you're doing, or you need to, you know, you need to leave or exit or change the terms of it. So how do you? A lot of students think that they've got no power at all to have that negotiation, you know. Yeah. Or because they get nervous about it, they just cut and run, you know, which I also advise against, you know. So either way, so something outside of those two kind of role, you know, things, you know. So Alex, you are a fantastic problem solver, good negotiator. I've seen you in action. How do you handle <laughs> negotiation? 
I can talk the talk, I can't always walk the walk on this one, but be clear and direct. Don't pull your punches. There's no point going in mealy mouth. There's no point saying half of what you want and then the next week having to say the other half of what you want and then the week after that giving the full story. I need to get out of this thing. I've only got a week to go. I've got a job that offers me this, this and this. I really thought I wanted this one and I've really enjoyed my time here, but this other thing is how come. You're not, you know, we all need to realise that none of us are irreplaceable. Ultimately, no one's going to really mind that much. But no, they, no, but, but what they, you exit respectfully. They want a very, very clear yeah. um, mm-hmm. terms of engagement. And those terms of engagement, everyone understands they will change. But when they change, the minute it changes, you go straight to the person who you're contacting, the line manager, and just very, very clear and direct. Mm-hmm. And, and don't be apologetic about it. You know, mm-hmm. you, you describe the reasons why, make it clear. That, you know, we all understand that we're living in a world in which. Um, work is unfair we're being asked to do things for not much money or no money and no one's going to mind if there is a really a sensible reason why you have to yeah. shift yeah. but the worst thing is where somebody becomes unpredictable and drip feeds information through anxiety not because they're trying to be unpleasant but through anxiety yeah. because then you don't know where you stand with that person and that makes them very difficult to deal with be direct be direct and that's yeah, yeah that's true that's good advice and um, and also sort of try, I sort of try to encourage them to take responsibility for it as you're saying so if you want to exit I think that's fine particularly if it's unpaid work yeah. it's always going to be fine actually but it's how you have the conversation so take responsibility for it and try to aim for a win-win know your bottom line know it is know what you want mm-hmm. and um, and then try to set up a win-win so if that if actually you leaving might cause them problems, see the problem from their point of view, then engineer a kind of way, you don't, what you don't do is shrug your shoulders and go, not my no. problem, I'm out of here. Particularly if you think, I would quite like a really good reference from that person. Yeah, totally. wrong because they actually are super good at what they do and they're really respected. And you never know when someone's going to be yeah. useful or potentially yeah. somebody you're going to have to engage with in the future. Yeah. Exit. So don't be, don't be short-sighted, see the big perspective. Well, that's why the respectful exit is good for you, that's the point, because you're, you're making sure that if you ever need to go back to them, it's all lovely. That's the point. Yeah. If, the, if there's an opportunity to find potential solutions to the problem you're leaving them with, that's also not a bad yeah. thing. Be tentative with that, because don't be presumptuous, but you could say, if you think it would be useful, I could ask amongst the other DPS students this is exactly what's happened yeah. to, recently. to replace me. Yeah. And do you know what really works? A pat on the head as you're going is really nice, because having somebody be an intern or be a, someone who's a placement with you comes with work as well as with advantages. Mm. And having someone say, thank you at the end of that process. Yeah. Do you know, it's so silly. I, 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 I feel like I sound like I'm a Labrador puppy that yeah. responds well to pass on the head. But the, when someone gives you, like, you know, a 20p card bought from the local news agents on the way in with a, thanks a lot, had a great time, love, Alex, mm. actually means that that last point of contact is a pleasant one and they will then remember you as the person who yeah. left pleasently. Yeah, because no worth it's yeah. worth a go. Cards are a really good call. Because I just realised, I would never think to buy anyone a card, but like, well, I've received so many yeah. really nice cards in my <laughs> right. And I do remember them, they're really right. lovely. Right, I'm going to start getting people cards now. <laughs> it's true, or like, the special email that says even thank you so much, yeah, totally. just does that actually. It's lovely when people do that. People don't mm. do that, you know. It's a small thing, but it's respectful too, as I'm saying. So, um, um, and... Uh, but it could be. What about also the scenario where you might want more money for something? They, you know, they're, they're not paying you, and you'd like you've been there three months. Let's just say this might happen further down the line, and you don't mind staying, but you now need to get paid because you've now been trained up enough. How do you engineer that conversation? The the first 
point is how you call a meeting for something like that. Um, and and that would depend on the organisation you in and what structures they have for meeting up, whether you regularly have to meet with that person anyway as a matter of course or whether it's yeah. something you had to engineer. But you'd want to just, when you're in the meeting, it's, and same advice as last time, be really clear, be really straightforward. Yeah. And know your leverage though, know l- your leverage. Lay your case out, say, yeah. I'm doing more work now, or I've been longer here and I'm not being trained up and now I'm of more benefit. I um, um, feel that it would be appropriate for me to have a slightly higher wage. I've been thinking about this. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds good. Mm. Okay. That's scary. Okay. <laughs> do you know, it is scary. It really is but, scary. But it's good to know how to do it because it's well, a skill and it's a learned skill negotiation. And with a two-week placement or a three-month placement, there's a lot less at stake than with something that you imagine is your job for the rest of your life. <laughs> and so I think... I think and I'm saying this like it's easy. I find those conversations really scary. I'm cataclysmically bad at them. But when I've had people do them to me, I've always responded much better. When it was clear, it was crisp, the demand was straightforward, and I was then given some time to think about it. Yeah. Pressure isn't that good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But and So ending the conversation is also important. And you might end the conversation by saying, I appreciate that you won't be able to make a decision now, but I felt that it was important I give yeah. you my perspective on this and perhaps you can get back to me within the next yeah. you know, week to let me know. So that you, you, you park it outside of the meeting. They can go away, have a think, ask other people, da-da-da. Yeah. That feels like you're... And, not- and think, I mean, actually, in a way, DPS is quite a good way to flex those negotiation muscles because it is something that you've made use of, as Alex was saying, throughout a life. So I actually even quite consciously try to... I mean, negotiation might be about these roles, but it might be about a collaborator, it might be about fun... It could be about many things. And what's interesting is that um, Artist Newsletter, the woman who used to run it, um, um, Sue, Sue Jones, um, one of her leaving things she did before she left was to do a whole project around negotiation. We have a link to it on the lovely DPS Recommends Wix site, which I hope you're all using, because there's tons of stuff on there. And she said that she came to the conclusion that Sue perhaps the best... The best bit of um, a training artists can have is knowing how to negotiate because even if it's not about internships or work, it will be about trying to build partnerships, trying mm-hmm. to get a, trying to get an exhibition, trying to build something. So it's in all sorts of different ways, and and some of that will be about persuasion as well, presentation. But all of it is about negotiation one way or another, and under, and and consciously taking on the skills there. It's a great catalyst for I mean, decades, actually. It's really worthwhile. Options is also quite good, you know, especially with a, with a paid placement, where what you might be saying is, I'm currently working three days a week. I feel that I'm not getting enough. Um, I can see two ways that would be useful ways forward. One would be you pay me more for three days. Two would be you pay me the same, but I'm only going to do two days, but I'm going to get the same amount of work done because I know I can get it done in two. And so you give people a way yeah. through. Good. Good. <laughs> it's the reason I asked him today. I'm Very also good. going to negotiate now clearly and He's forthrightly. He's exit from the room. And yes, I'm going to say that I've really enjoyed this. <laughs> Ruben, I've really enjoyed chatting to you and getting... Because I've had a sense of what you've been up to, but it's quite nice to get some more concrete bits. Thank you, and thank you very much for, for inviting yeah. Marie. Well, thank and you for the first inaugural. Um, we will leave the rejection one till later on. Or, or maybe you can discuss it once I've, in, my, in, in my absence, in my rejecting yeah. the rejection, perhaps you can <laughs> continue to discuss it. I have been rejected from the rejection. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Alex. Thank you very Alex much. Alex is now exiting the room for the tape. It looks like a crime scene. Okay. <laughs> well, actually, maybe you and I can conclude talking about rejection, because yeah, that's totally. the other common thing is um, particularly, again, I think at the beginning, where students are often put to lots of stuff, yes. 
they're dealing with silence, and we've dealt with that, the unanswered email already. And, and I have a little sort of stump speech I end up saying to students about understanding that everyone deals with rejection. It goes with the territory. And to make them understand that in, in many ways, you know, um, and not just students, and not just students that begin a DPS, it's just, it's something in life, there's no way of avoiding it. Mm -hmm. And I think it can feel tricky, particularly if it's your artist practice in some way, because there is a way in which the rejection then feels like it's something tied up with you, and what you have to do is just not think of it in that way. So you must have seen students, ma you know, managing rejection mm. or it didn't work out, and the yeah. sense of disappointment. Mm. So what's your observation on that? Mm. I'd have a think. I suppose I've definitely been rejected a lot more, <laughs> or ignored a lot more than I've been um, sort of. I've actually been accepted onto things, but I suppose. Um, but most people I think are. In terms of in terms of dealing with it, I think I I don't generally have too much trouble dealing with it because I think I mean I try and be empathetic of the situation and like I realize as the sort of um, you know there are many there are many many sort of opportunity hungry artists and yeah. and and uh, sort of young art people in the in the world and I guess. I suppose it's just being understanding of... In fact, I was talking to my friend about this because I have um, um, a couple of friends who run a, an annual residency project and they were talking about getting... My friend Sam was get, talking about getting the, all the applications in for this year. So this year it was like an online residency yeah. project. It's a really cool project. I've heard enough of now, I recommend. Um, but um, Sam was talking about how getting all the applications in for that made him so much more understanding about yeah. being rejected for things himself. Yes, <laughs> Cause, very, cause, very, very true. Because yeah. he, he was talking about going through the applications and being like, okay, so you cast off a certain number of them which are just like, they're just terrible or like, they're just well, not, not at they've all. they've not paid, they've been careless, they've not yeah. paid any attention they're to not the paid any attention. Exactly. And so, yeah. So, like, a certain, a certain percentage of them go then. But then the rest, it's kind of, you know, it's not that, it's not that the work was bad. Like he was, he was talking a lot about how like it's not that the it's not that the work we were getting was bad. It was just that like it just didn't fit with what we wanted, and like it just wasn't you know it just wasn't quite right. And like and when I think about things that I have been accepted for, it's always been something where like I almost like knew when I was applying for it. I was going like yeah. this is such a good fit for my work, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. or like for for the work we're doing, and like it just felt. Um, you know, you do realise like that, yeah, there's, for all these opportunities, even if you would have done a great job when you're on it, I'm sure, Yeah. you know. But you, you, bring up, you bring up a good point that the anxiety people have where it gets really emotionally difficult is where they give the rejection a huge catastrophic meaning. Yeah, totally. And that's where it gets really difficult. And, that, that, and realising, this sounds like therapy, but it's totally true, that realising that you do not have to give it that meaning. That that's that's the one thing. You can't control what happens. And the other thing is realising, I do have this thing where I kind of say that, that it happened to DPS students, but it happens to everyone. I can guarantee it happens to Alex, it happens to me. It happens to, I've known people who won the Turner Prize, this happens to. Yeah. So it's not... Uh, Every single artist going, or every creative individual going, has had to deal with rejection mm. one way or another. You don't get certain things you go for. And in fact, I mean, the, the, this would have been the point where I have two things I was going to sort of show, but I can just describe it back to you. And one is actually there's um, uh, this great rejection letter that somebody reads out on stage, which was actually sent to Andy Warhol, where he asked very early in his career, when he was still an illustrator, he offered 
or wanted the Chicago Museum of Modern Art or something to buy some work or to just take a loan of it even. Yeah. And they are basically saying, thank you, but no thank you, you know. Mm. And they're turning him down very, you know, kind of nicely. And, um, well, not that nicely. Just they're fairly straightforward about it. And when, yeah. so it's Andy Warhol getting a rejection. Yeah. And, and then that's a great way of putting in perspective that there is no one who doesn't get it. No. And it's particularly when reputations are being formed and no one, you know. And, and to realise that, as you say, in most cases, the reason for the rejection will just be timing or rather than it being absolutely, this is just absolutely crap, it will be shades of grey, something mm. quite nuanced. And so you don't have to let okay. it be catastrophic. And particularly if you are... Mainly, you know, if you're applying for loads of things, then in your mind, you're not, you haven't put all the stakes on this one thing. It's the third mm. thing you've applied to all year. It's, you know, um, there's a le- there's a um, an interview. Um, no, there was a, a. It's really more from a writer that I was going to show both you and Alex. I can just tell you because it's all I really need is the headline. Mm. Where there was this writer who had realised through a conversation he met someone that said that he aimed to get hundred rejections every year. And he said, you aim? You aim to get that? And he says, no, absolutely, because if I'm getting 100 rejections, then, because I've applied for that many things, then, then it increases the, the proportion of things which are going to work out. Yeah. So it pretty much guarantees, if I put that much effort into getting that much rejection, to mm. show, you know, then there is a guaranteed probably amount, you know, the bigger percentage of yeah. stuff that will work out. And, and so this guy thought, what, well, I'm going to give this a go. And it works. Yeah. And he proudly says, well, I'm only on 50 rejections. I've got to up it. <laughs> so it's about benchmarking the amount of stuff you try for. Yeah. And I remember seeing a... I suppose a, it encourages you to be ambitious yeah. as well. Yeah, <laughs> and also put it in perspective. Yeah, yeah, just like you cast an it out there like a fisherman. Totally. See what comes back, you know. Yeah. Official. See it's worth what a comes try, back. You know, and, and, you know, and I remember seeing some of my incredibly resourceful friends who are very, you know... Very successful, you know, doing things and getting up close and seeing what they do. The only difference, really, is they just try for more things, particularly early on. That's the difference. No, totally. And they're resilient enough to sort of thought in their minds, they just go next, next mm. thing, and they just move on. And that's that's the only difference. They're not innately better, but they get better because they just are practicing more. Yeah. That's it, actually. You know. Where the dirt. It's no? finding the time. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, um, it's true. There's no shortcut to that. You just have to be it's an act of willpower when you're busy and you're tired. Totally. But um, but it's seeing the bigger picture. It's seeing that you put the effort in now because mm. it will open. It will bring you nearer to what you want to do. No, you know? that's true. So, what do we think? We think DPS adverts are a good idea. Yes. Calling for really, I, I think you're right. I'm, I think just to be responsive to anything people want to do. If anyone wants to use the excuse of meeting someone they would love to meet with, like to approach, <laughs> to say that could they do a little audio for a CSM podcast, yeah. then use this as an excuse to get to the person. That could be quite smart. But personally, I'd love to have like the sort of DPS students interviewing people. That seems like such a. Oh, oh no, that's what I want. I'd exactly. love that. I'd to- totally up for that, people. Mm. You just have to give me the content. You know, absolutely. And we can find. And this is a very yeah. easy way to do it. And as I said, all you need. You don't have to have fancy equipment. You can just use your phone. Actually, totally. That, that's fine. No problem. Do you think we need a DPS jingle? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Maybe I might have to think about this. <laughs> I think we could do it with a little I'm bit a background music. <laughs> oh, please. Yes. Ruben, christen it. I'm going to. I'll have a think about it. Write me a brief. <laughs> DPS jingle, very short, ten, six to ten seconds long. Six to ten we can, seconds. We can, we can then just pepper yeah, it throughout the beginning and at the end. Have you had many adverts? I've had nothing. <laughs> Not a single advert? Nothing. I'm very disappointed. Can, can, you, can you ask your fellow peers to. Yes. I think 
people should make adverts. I think maybe advert is like a misleading. Maybe it's like, you know, because maybe people are. I can understand being embarrassed to like sell your show. Or, or like to well, record. I can do that if you just like give me the details. I'm happy to do a little news announcement. Yeah, yeah. So I if can, you're too embarrassed, I can be shameless on your behalf. If you're too embarrassed to advertise your own thing, then get a friend or yeah. get Amory to yeah. advertise it for you. Also, but also I think like yeah, I think we should be open to like, you know, if you just have any bit of audio content that you think's yeah. worth sharing with everyone. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think the brief needs to be too narrow, really, because yeah. I'm all for eclecticism. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah, and ideas for regular features was the other thing. Yeah, well. that, that, but, yeah really cool. but that could be, yeah, if somebody has a certain thing they want to keep talking about or, mm. or a little five-minute or three-minute segment that they want to just return to. Totally. You know, as and when suits them and they turn up, then we can, we can have some DPS comment, commentators, journalists, roving report, whatever we want to call them, <laughs> you know. We could have. We could have a little Ruben section all the time, from time to time, yeah. as you want. Well, I'll have to think about it. So, thank you, Ruben. You're most welcome. <laughs> have you enjoyed it? I have enjoyed it. It's been a lovely chat. Good. And um, if there's anyone that any of you would like to talk to, um, as well as you go, well, I think you going and talking to the people could be the thing, actually, I agree. Mm. You know, um, Then let me know. I'm sure there's ways, as I said, appearing for 10 minutes in someone's office or in their studio with a, mic, with a, with a, with a smartphone is, is something much... That's not so easy to say no to, because that's really... Yeah. Small and easy and nice. Uh, you know? So you could have a lot of fun with that. <laughs> Take advantage of like, you know, artists always want to share what they're doing constantly. Absolutely. So if you just make it really easy for people to share what they're doing. Yes. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll take you off on it. Absolutely. We're all desperate for exposure. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ruben. Thanks for your time. Thank you everybody else for taking the time to listen to this first ever DPS podcast. No, is it going to have another name? I feel. <laughs> well, unless we can come up with one. We can come I'll... up with one, and then it needs. To, I think something that reflects the the um the sort of the the horror of like finding yourself in the real in the real art world. Like, <laughs> no, That's I'll, a good I'll, idea. Have, I'll have a think about it. I'll have a think about it. It's been fun. Good. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to the first ever DPS podcast. Featured in this programme was some choral sound works by Reuben Green. I was taken to overcome my programming and take both. Operatic Urban Feet with Henry Mills, Coal Meat Storage, the UDK Choir Workshop. Come back later on and listen to future editions, which will feature more student work. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.